Welcome to the Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. Today we've got an episode jam-packed with goodness for you. We've got an interview with upcoming player Edie Hurd and her dad Sam, as well as a quick chat with Cynthia Ricciotti's dad Dino. Then Team Legacy's Lauren Butler joins us for a discussion about tournament divisions and finding sponsors. We'll answer some questions, chat with TD Chris Rodriguez, and do a quick FPO wrap-up. A quick shout out and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. If you are interested in supporting the podcast, you can do so for as little as $1 an episode. Just visit our website and click the support button. All right, time to talk ladies disc golf. everyone. This is Becca Kephart. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to have back in the studio two of my favorite people that are also playing some great golf this year, Nova Polite and Kim Janola. A bit later, Team Legacy's Lauren Butler will join us for our topic of the week. So we'll start with our first segment, What You Been Disking, where each one of us shares one disc golf related thing we're excited about. Nova, what you got? Well, uh, since you're limiting us to just one, I'm going to go with the most recent. Um, I... Uh, have recently started a YouTube channel. Um, I've uh, got a camera that'll shoot 1080p and 60 frames per second finally. And I uh, built a little rig so that I can go out and shoot video all by my lonesome. And I've put together a few videos already for my YouTube channel. A couple of uh, round videos and one video where I took a pair of ultimate discs and played nine holes uh, at a course using just those. That was so cool. That was such a trip. Like, when's the last time you threw an ultimate disc? Like, I haven't thrown one in so long. I have never. I have never thrown one. Oh I, wow! I okay. Did, I did not play ultimate before I yeah, played disc right, golf. Right, right, right. Um, I, I threw like little little crummy, you know, giveaway from the bank frisbees right. when I was <laughs> when I was a child. Right. And then I didn't throw anything um, for about thirty five years, yeah. and then I played disc golf. Um, so. I was inspired. Uh, somebody posted up on Facebook uh, the video from 1979 yeah. of the World Championships, and I think they were down in SoCal. Shout out to the fake PDGA. Fake PDGA. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and I was looking at it, and I was like, they're throwing really big discs. Yeah. How do they do that? They How do they make those go so far? And I, I had a couple of ultimate discs laying around just from players' packs or whatever. So I was like, let's go see how this works. And the answer is it works really embarrassingly if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Those things are so understable. Holy cow. Oh, God. Yeah. By the flight numbers, I think they're like a 1.58 glide, <laughs> negative 4,000 turn. <laughs> and I, it doesn't help that I was throwing in like 30 mile an hour winds. It was insane. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the point is um, uh, what I've been disking is I got a new YouTube channel and uh, I don't have a clever name for it yet. It's just on YouTube under my name. So look in the uh, notes for this episode. Yeah. Awesome. Kim, what you got? I'm looking forward to playing again. Yeah. Um, Mid-America Open is coming up, and I'm going to get to play competitively again. There was a uh, week before the glass blown open. Um, one of my shoulders is feeling a little bit sore, and during that warm-up week, I pulled something, and I don't even know what it was. And so for the glass blown open, for the Tim Selinski Masters, for the Diva Fever, I was actually playing a little hurt. Yeah. And... A big shout out, by the way, to Carrie Ricketts and Tracy Lopez for taping my shoulder up the weekend of the Diva Fever. Thank you. But um, full disclosure, um, for those of you who went to the Glass Blown Open, Nate Doss gave a very eloquent mm-hmm. speech on how you should recognize that you're hurt 
acknowledge that you're hurt, not be afraid of the fact and commit to healing and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm playing hurt this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I haven't had any competition officially since the Diva Fiva ended. And I did play, you know, our local circuit event. Thank you, Jacob Walker. Um, and uh, Thomas Ostaszewski. I probably butchered your name. I'm very sorry I about that. I have no idea how to say Thomas's Ostashevsky. last name. But he did give me an awesome disc. So yeah, Ostashevsky. what up, Thomas? Sorry. Shout out. But I, I haven't played any serious competition since the Diva Fiva ended. And the other thing I could say is, you know, I'm now professional. I did accept cash, so I've made the transition from am to pro. Yeah. Shout out to everybody uh, playing the Mid-America Open next weekend. I know there's a good amount of ladies playing it, which is super cool. So good luck to everyone. So for me, I watched uh, the Beaver State fling footage, like hopefully a lot of you did, and I got through all the Jomez stuff and uh, have been working through the Disc Golf Guys bonus coverage, which is really excellent too. And part of why I love watching uh, Disc Golf is to get inspired to try new things, and boy howdy were there a lot of rollers at the Beaver State fling. We saw uh, Paige lay down some good ones, Katrina, obviously that one on 17 of the last round was nuts, it was so good, and then in the bonus coverage zoe and ike was throwing down some good rollers too so i decided this week it was one of those weeks where i kind of barely got to touch a disc but i had like a couple 15 minute sessions in the field uh to start working on rollers again i've messed with them a little bit so i am excited to keep trying out rollers today happens to be father's day so a very happy father's day to all the dads out there supporting their daughters in disc golf and to them and all the other men that support us thank you very much We've got a couple great interviews coming up after the break. Up first, an interview with a fantastic young golfer named Edie Hurd and her dad, Sam. And then we'll have an interview with one of our favorite dads, Cynthia Ricciotti's dad, Dino. Looking for the perfect disc golf disc to take your game to the next level? Ladies First Disc Golf makes the disc selection process easy with an inventory of women's friendly discs. Ladies First Disc Golf wants to make sure you are looking and feeling great on the course. Jazz up your disc golf wardrobe with a large selection of apparel items for women disc golfers chosen and designed by women's disc golfers. At Ladies First Disc Golf, the ladies always come first. Visit ladiesfirstdiscgolf.com for all of your women's disc golf, disc, apparel, and accessory needs. I'm back with Sam and Edie Hurd. Thank you both so much for taking some time to speak with me. I was really excited to do this. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, so, Edie, you're having a great season so far. Uh, you took first in advanced women at Arkansas States, and you placed second in intermediate women at both Jonesboro and the GBO. And you also recently got to play in the FBO division at the San Francisco Open. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Um, I think that that was and still is the biggest thing I've ever done for disc golf. Mm-hmm. It was super fun to be with like everybody I watch like on YouTube that I look up to. So I think I learned a lot and the course was super beautiful. So it was awesome. And Edie, how old are you? I'm 14 years old. That's awesome. And so you're pretty young here in your career, but what are you hoping to accomplish in disc golf? What are some of your disc golf dreams? My biggest dream for disc golf is to be a world champion and Basically, I just want to be like the best that I can possibly be. I don't think there's a limit. Yeah. So So Sam, can you talk a little bit about your involvement in disc golf and introducing Edie to the sport? Well, I started in Boulder in 1996. I had a friend that handed me a driver and a putter 
and he said, meet me over here at this Harlow Platts course around lunchtime. And we played over and over and over again and again and again. Didn't really know what we were doing, but we had a lot of fun. Long story short, several years later, after a long hiatus from the sport, I got back into it because Edie said, hey, Daddy, I want to go play with you guys. And so we just kind of started going back out as a family. Mm -hmm. um, when I realized after hearing you know, friends of mine say, good grief, look at that girl crushing that disc. You know, how old is she? And at the time, you know, she was 13 years old. And I thought, well, I've been a web developer and a designer and whatnot for years. And I decided that I would try to start something to help support her and raise money and, you know, maybe eventually sell products and things like that. So I, I you know, because of Edie's love of the game, it really motivated me and got me back into it. So now I'm playing again and we're trying to just, grow the sport here in North Little Rock, Arkansas by doing promotions for local clubs and things like that, building websites for people who need them. And we picked up Edie's first sponsor, Cedar Creek Disc mm -hmm. Golf up in Northwest Arkansas and uh, built a website for them. And they're seeing a lot of success with that. So my part of it is growing the sport by promotion and creating and just, you know, watching my daughter crush discs. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really wonderful. So Edie, what does a typical week of playing look like for you? I know it's summertime now, so you probably have a little bit more time not being in school. Um, but what do you like to do for practice? How many tournaments are you uh, planning on playing this summer? Um, well, for tournaments, I basically play whatever I can. If it's near me, I'm going to play it. But um, of course, money's a problem. It's sometimes expensive to go mm -hmm. a lot of places, but we're trying to do Junior Worlds. Awesome. And since I just got back from San Francisco and I just played Spring Fling and state championships, I'm having a few weeks of just practice. So, yeah. That's great. And, yeah. So for practice, I just um, – I always putt. Putting, I think, is the most important to practice because it's the most – um, mental and it's I think it's the hardest to learn to get your putt so putting and then I do some field work a lot and I go to my local course which is Burns Park that's where I usually spend my practice time very cool so do you have a lot of courses near you where you're at I have about three that are not too far away from cool. me yeah within about yeah. 30 minutes we have reservoir which is a really well-established course, really hilly, super wooded technical lines. And then Burns Park's got several versions of different courses on it, the blue, the gold, the red, the white. We've got great courses there on one of the largest municipal parks in the country. And then a ball golf course recently out at Pine Valley has allowed some local guys to put in some baskets, and they've been working really hard on that. So, you know, big, big wide open fairways and big long shots with a couple of par fours thrown in. So we've got within 30 minutes of our house, we have three or four courses, like Edie said, that are really fantastic for where we're at and starting off with disc golf. That's awesome. I'm not too far from Little Rock, so I got to get down there and play sometime. That'd be cool. Yeah, it would be great. <laughs> play Reservoir with us. We love that thing. It kicks everybody's butt, and that's why yeah. we love it. <laughs> I love it. Very cool. All right. So, Edie, what can the disc golf community do to best support your disc golf dreams? Um, you mean my dreams, like just me or all women that play? Uh, let's do both. Okay. Well, I think support comes from being, feeling welcome to play to on a course because sometimes it's like people think it's just men that can play. So I think we need some more just women events 
that would definitely help. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest that anyone could have for support is just feeling welcome. Yeah. Of course. I mean, of course I do already, but <laughs> some people don't. Sure. Yeah. Well, it also hurts your hurts your chances a little bit when you embarrass the guys you play with. So. <laughs> so, Sam, same question for you. What do you think us as a disc golf community can do to best support our juniors and our upcoming uh, women players? Well, I'll tell you what. When I saw, I think it was on Facebook a week or so, maybe two weeks out ahead of the San Francisco Open, I saw that there was a plan to try to record all of the FPO cards. Yeah. And, you know, in the, in the moment, that's not really so much support, but the motivating factor that comes with that and the fact that people need to see what's going on and the, mm-hmm. and the just tremendous growth of the sport, things like putting out there, hey, we are going to be filming the women's cards. You know, like I said, it's not a big deal at the time, but when you look at it and, and then you get to see all of these shots by all of these women who've made such great contributions to the sport just by playing, really, um, that's a, that's huge. And I don't yeah. think that you can overstate that. Um, they just, you know, I, I don't even know how to phrase that to say, wow, that, that's a, that's a huge, uh, confidence boost when you can go back and see all your shots. It's a great motivator for other people to say, wow, you did that. And, you know, coming back and looking at it again with friends and family is something special. And that's a big deal. But I mean, having events where, Women are encouraged. Women are, you know, honored for their contributions to the sport and, you know, basically elevating the fact that these women are crushing it and look at what they can do. And I don't know, there needs to be a, some kind of a dialogue, I think, between folks as to what's the difference between men and women's disc golf, you know, because sometimes women play from the same tees, other times they play from shorter tees or they throw at shorter baskets, different pin placements. And, you know, there is a difference between men and women, but I think on the course, as far as level of skill and dedication, there's absolutely no difference mm-hmm. and be absolutely no difference when, and when payout comes, you know, mm-hmm. in the future, it needs to be equalized. Yeah. And, you know, I'm probably biased. I have a daughter who plays disc golf. I love watching her. I love watching her grow in the sport. And I, I'm part of what I do to encourage her is to say, you know, you can be a voice for, all women in this game and say, Hey, we're working just as hard. We're doing, we're putting in the hours. We're getting better. We're growing as people. We're going as disc golfers and people are going to be doing this for a living. And they're going to, you know, they're going to benefit from the support that comes from payouts that are closer and more equal with men's. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I mean, I, f- I really feel strongly about the fact that women need to be paid equally. And across, not just disc golf, but I mean, this is disc golf specific now. So, you know, it's, it's important to, that we say these ladies are working their butts off and they're being great community leaders, great examples for other folks, and they need to be compensated equally. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really great. So Edie, what's your favorite thing about playing disc golf? Um, I think it's probably... I think it's something that I accomplished for myself. I love to set goals for myself and see myself accomplish them, mm-hmm. but also um, meeting new people and having fun and growing closer to a person just by having the same thing in common that you both love disc golf. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right. That's yeah. really, really wonderful. 
Any shout outs? Uh, definitely. Um, I would like to shout out to my sponsor, Cedar Creek DGC. Um, they're a private course in Northwest Arkansas and um, cedarcreekdgc.com. You can look at all the stuff about that. And also pdgc.com. It's our family business that we're starting to promote disc golf with. And then Kevin Jones, my teammate, he's four strokes off the lead right now at Beaver State. Line, so <laughs> I'm excited to see how that goes. He's getting on that podium today. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All really, really great. Very inspiring stuff. Thank you both so much for taking some time to talk with us. Well, thank you, Becca. Yeah, thank you so much. This was awesome. I'm here with Dino Ricciotti, father of Cynthia Ricciotti. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us. So how did you come to disc golf? Well, I was first originally introduced to disc golf when I lived in Southern California back in the mid-90s. I had some friends that would go to La Mirada Mm -hmm. and they would throw and you know, they had, they just got out with their, the new T-Bird and everybody was so excited, Speed 7. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and here I am trying to throw with regular catch frisbees or right. those little aerobie things with right. just rings right. and trying to play disc golf with that. And it didn't, wasn't very fun for me. So like, like an idiot and I didn't catch on to it. So fast forward about to... I'd say, what, about uh, 20 years? And uh, when Cynthia had the uh, the club about ready to start, I went with her, grabbed some discs from Played Again, and we started throwing, and I got hooked Yeah. at the same time she did. So that's pretty much how we got started with that. It was kind of like we pretty much got started at the same time. Yeah. What is the best part of being a disc golf dad? The long drives, the <laughs> the money being spent, it's awesome. Oh, I you, you gotta take pride. Yeah. You know, you know, you you played with her, you mentored her as much as you could. You know, because I was learning at the same time she was. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if I progressed somewhere, that would kind of pull her with me and then there was some so now it's like now she's dragging me mm-hmm. you know trying to get up to her level i'm like uh but but you know that's pretty much it i mean you take pride in it yeah. you know you see how she carries herself you know with interviews and mm-hmm. you know with uh except you know like the you know award speeches and mm-hmm. and she carries herself professionally and that's that's something i take pride in yeah definitely what do you think is good about where disc golf is at right now particularly maybe in how we support our uh, junior players and our women players? Well, I would say that uh, I'm excited to see that there are more clubs. I, you know, yeah. I get, I see email, you know, like Facebook messages and from all over the country. And you can see all the different clubs that are finally, finally saying, hey, we need to grow that side of the sport. Because mm-hmm. that's where the real growth is going to happen. Yeah. You know, they the men are already there. Mm-hmm. the The numbers are still growing. The women are still about eight percent of the total PDGA right. membership, and that's right. been pretty much steady. So it's good that it's growing to at least keeping up in that yeah. regard. But it's good to see that the clubs are actually saying, "Okay, this is where 
the sport's really going to grow. Mm-hmm. That's where you, you it's 51% of the population. Right. <laughs> you need to actually try to get them in because yeah. that's where the money's going to be. Yeah, definitely. So what advice would you have for a dad whose daughter is currently playing or just getting into the sport? Understand what they want from the sport. Mm-hmm. If they just want to, you know, hang out with dad maybe once in a while and throw a disc, you know, and not, you know, just have some fun and just, you know, not take it too seriously, yeah. then then let it be that. Yeah. Um, if the child like Cynthia wants to really take it seriously, then you, you have to come to an understanding that, hey, you know, if you want to take it seriously, I'm all for that. But there comes a level of, uh, of commitment that you're going to have mm-hmm. to give in which Cynthia has. So, I mean, I think that's, that's a key, just understanding what the child wants from the sport. What would you maybe say to tournament directors of ways that they can be extra accommodating to juniors players uh, from your perspective? Junior tees. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got 10-year-old, less than 10-year-olds throwing three, 400 feet. Yeah. It's, it's you know, give them 125. Sure. You know, just, you know, let them have that, you know, that moment where they just land one next to the basket and yeah. they just get so excited. Yeah. And, you know, that's where they're going to really get hooked yeah. is when they get that birdie too and they get a few birdies and they're not, you know, seeing scores in the triple digits and it starts to get frustrating after a while right. that they're doing that. And, you know, and and it's good it's good that the kids want to, you know, they play together. Mm-hmm. Don't split them up too much as far as, you know, you know, have them one side of the course and the other. Have them all together. I guess with that too, what advice would you have for a dad who has a daughter who's getting really serious in terms of discs to look at, um, what kind of training to look at, all of those things to help them improve, what would be your approach to that? Um, it depends on the age of the child. Sure. Um, if they're if they're really young, like under ten years old, get them more understable. This to start, and then when they progress, you know, maybe uh, lighter weight but more stable yep. discs, and then then progress from there. Cynthia was kind of uh, strange, and then <laughs> she started off with one fifty DX beasts. Okay. okay, that was her that was her disc. All right. Then she went to wraiths. Yeah, and you know, but just slightly more stable. Yeah. And then, then what, what, what else did you go? Let's see. Let's see. Probably, I think she had some destroyers in her bag. Mm-hmm. You know, like 150. Everything 150, 150, 150. And then, you know, she started throwing um, like air truths and, yeah. and uh, finally air trespasses. Mm-hmm. Lighter and then in lighter weights. And then she yeah. progressed into the higher weights and those. But then, you know, she started at when... She first started playing. She was throwing like a 140 DX rock. Sure. Anything as oh, yeah. light as right. anything. But now she can throw full, you know, full weight, you know, mm-hmm. max weight verdicts. Yeah. And without a problem. It didn't take that long. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't be afraid to progress the disc because yeah. the child's moving up. Don't keep, you know, if the child's flipping a diamond. Right. 
don't keep move up the disc. Right. Don't be afraid to. Yeah. You'll be, you'll be surprised what the kids can do. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Dino. I really appreciate All it. All right. Welcome back. Our topic today is moving on up, deciding what division to play in and moving through the divisions. We're very happy to have Team Legacy's Lauren Butler joining the conversation. Lauren, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. All right. So let's jump right in. So I thought a good place to start would be, um, you know, when talking about divisional play, kind of talking about the PDGA division guidelines. And there is a place... On the uh, PDGA website, and I'll put a link to that on our Facebook page, um, that kind of goes a little bit more into depth uh, beyond rating and to kind of just their guidelines of how you play to kind of help you pick a division. Right, like how far you throw versus how many putts you can make inside the circle and stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. So Jenny over on Facebook kind of gave us a good question that I thought would be a good place to start in regards to that. So she asks, does the PGGA need to reassess the divisional guidelines for the women's divisions again? When I started playing in 2009, once you hit 800, you had to move up to advanced. 750 for intermediate, and I think 725 for rec. Sometime along the way, around 2014, they changed the women's division guidelines to once you reach 825, you had to play advanced. 775 was the cutoff for rec, and uh, to have to move to intermediate and novice, you can play until you are 725 rated. From uh, running several women's tournaments and watching the growth of women's disc golf in tournaments in my area, I'm not sure I agree with the divisional cutoffs they made. I've noticed less intermediate players in our area and very large rec fields. I think this current divisional guideline may prevent people from moving up. So let's kind of just talk about those guidelines and, and kind of what we've seen. Uh, Lauren, do you have some thoughts about that? Right. Well, they're definitely only guidelines, you know, suggestions for where you should be playing because ratings are always based on who you're playing against and how high the people rated around you are playing that, like who's playing with you that day, whether they're the, you know, thousand rated top men pros or not. Um, So ratings are always different. Some states don't have that many thousand rated pros. So a lot of their pros are rated lower, even though their skills might be just as good. Um, For me, I felt like maybe 800 plus should be playing advanced women Mm -hmm. Um, and 850 plus you could be even stepping your toes into that pro rated field. Um, For me, I think rec and novice should be for fun. Um, Not that you can have a little bit of competition in there, but I don't think, you know, all the rules should be applied. It should be for people learning to play in the professional disc golf association, like under their rules, but in a tournament is how is how I look at rec and novice because there's not always that many there's never four choices honestly advanced intermediate mm-hmm. rec and novice for women unless it's an all women's tournament so a lot of women end up playing where the numbers already are if there's already three women in advance they'll play advanced if there's already three women in intermediate they'll play intermediate you know just to try and fill mm-hmm. uh, a group of women in any division right uh, what do you think Nova um, I'm going to have to agree with that. Um, the guidelines, um, I, I looked at them because I like to look at rules and guidelines and information. It's what I do when I'm bored, which is all the time. The guidelines as they currently exist as far as um, 
distance thrown accurately, percentage of putts within a certain number of feet, etc. cetera. Uh, they don't really align skill-wise with uh, the number ratings that they're given on the website, so I agree that they do need to be realigned. Yeah, I think um, bringing it downward uh, would would push a few more players into advanced, um, but you know that has that can't be done in a vacuum. Um, mm-hmm. There's still the problem of getting enough women playing that you're going to have more than one uh, division available anyway. What about you, Kim? What do you think? Overall, I agree with both um, Lauren and Nova. I do think that if you lower the requirements, you are going to get more advanced participation. You're going to get more mm-hmm. rec players moving into inter- intermediate just by necessity of that. There is unfortunately the very real problem that rec and we'll say intermediate because you don't really see novice offered all that much this is where the largest base of the players are mm-hmm. um and then you don't have novice so the novice players play rec eventually if you're beating what are essentially the novice players in rec you move up to intermediate but you're still kind of a rec player mm-hmm. But because you're seeking better competition, you're going to intermediate, but you're not really an intermediate player yet. And eventually, you're going to get the same thing in intermediate. You're going to have to go to advanced once you start beating all of your intermediate competition, even though you're not really an advanced player. Mm -hmm. So the problem, as Lauren, you know, very astutely addressed, is this varies wildly from area to area to area you could be a very strong intermediate player where you are and then travel to one location and you'd be a very good advanced player or you might be only a so-so intermediate player depending on Mm -hmm. who you're playing against and what your competition is going Mm -hmm. to be yeah and I think for me you know my first tournament was an all-women's tournament so that's really when I looked at the PDGA guidelines and all that because I had my selection of every division there was and knew there would be plenty of people in them. Um, So that's obviously very different. And for me as, you know, a low 700s rated player, I kind of benefit from where things are at because I can kind of play wherever I want. Uh, So there is that benefit that you do have the option to play up if you want to. Um, but there's certainly less opportunity and less motivation maybe to move up if the, the guidelines are lower like they are. So cool. Moving on then, um, I thought it'd be good for us to kind of talk about what division we each started in. Again, this is so complicated just because for most tournaments, you only have so many options. So Nova, when you played your first tournament, your first tournament was an all-women's tournament. What division did you pick? Uh, yeah, that's correct. It was uh, 2015 um, Diva Spring FIVA, which on the even-numbered years is, of course, a WGE event. And it was an all-women's tournament. I played uh, played rec. And uh, I had actually looked at the guidelines on the PDGA's website because I'm really boring that way. <laughs> and... I only played rec once more um, that year. I think about a month later I played rec. And rec just really isn't offered in this region. Um, so I was playing intermediate for a while. And uh, by that November I was playing open because mm-hmm. uh, that's just how I roll. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what about you, Lauren? Where did you kind of start off when you first started playing tournament? Well, I had to look it up, actually. Yeah. So I started, like, 
I was probably only playing disc golf for like six months before I started playing tournaments because that's just the only, I don't know, we just got our feet in right away. So my first year playing, I played in three advanced tournaments and I got three wins, but I only played against one person and I brought her to the event. (laughs) 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 Um, I played in two intermediate tournaments. And I got zero wins, but there was nine other girls that I played in yeah. in those two tournaments. Um, and then I also played in one mixed um, division out of 16. Uh, I think I was the only girl. There's 16 uh, people in the division, though, and I took 14th because there wasn't any girls to play against. And it just that was towards the end of the year. And I could just it seems like I was getting annoyed with getting uh, trophies for playing against myself. Right. right. Uh, so I started to play against the boys and that's a huge thing. Like, it's so cool that your guys' first tournaments were women's tournaments right. and there was so many girls and every division offered and so many different things for you guys, because for two years I was playing against myself and I had to go into men's stuff to get any sort of competition or there was two or three other women around Minneapolis who also played in tournaments, but like you guys said, when there was one rec, one intermediate, one advanced, and one semi-pro playing, the it, the skill levels were different, and people got a little bit annoyed with rules and just maybe a, a, a loser and a winner for seen on the first hole. You know, mm-hmm. there there wasn't quite as much competition if the ratings are that far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found, and what I think any women should be doing if there's only two of them and you guys are starting to get that like we're fighting each other every weekend for a win sort of thing um you and the girl can go into the men's division and play in novice or rec men and play against 20 men and you guys can both win and be first and second place you guys can beat up on those boys (laughs) and get some good girl vibes out there and instead of one of you being the winner and one of you being the loser every single weekend you can open your division and you can learn a bunch from playing against men too. You know, mm-hmm. it's always good to play against better people. So if you're playing against um, more than one person in your division, it's going to help. Yeah, I like um, and I think it's going to help to grow the sport a little bit too. I think that uh, playing, you know, playing for yourself, playing for your rating, playing to win is one thing. And then in, sometimes when there's less four people or people card mm-hmm. the whole weekend. You're playing to beat somebody, mm-hmm. not hoping that they shoot bad, but it's easier if they do instead of you trying to do the best that you can every single round. And there's going to be a shuffle of the cards. And, you know, mm-hmm. you just when you're on one card with the only people in your division, you really get stuck on the numbers thing instead of on yourself mm-hmm. and your game and what you can do better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really good because I'll kind of just interject this this point that I wanted to make, you know hearing from Kim and Nova and something they talk about a lot that I think is really important is is knowing why you're playing and knowing your motivation and I think that's huge when picking you know what division you're playing in um, and how you want to approach that because I know some people that are super motivated by winning and that's okay like I don't think there's anything wrong with that but that should probably navigate our pick to play and and how they choose to move up go pro etc um but for me i'm so much more focused on just getting better that i care more about my rating 
than I do really about, um, you know, getting a trophy. It'd be nice to win something. A trophy. It'll happen at some point, I'm sure. Anyway. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so, yeah, well, there's definitely a top. You see some girls who play in intermediate or advanced, depending on where the trophy is going to be available to win it at. Right. And I mean, with the rating system that we have right now, they're more than welcome to do that. Yeah. Um, I played in pro in some advanced tournaments my last year, and I felt like that was fine for me to do. I was dipping my toes into the pro field, and I, I've only been playing disc golf for five years. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had all my right to try to win Am Worlds, and I. You know, that's kind of a, a huge thing for for girls to experience is going to Am Worlds and seeing like yeah. thirty or forty women to compete against. It's just right. an amazing experience. Right, definitely. So Kim, what division did you start in and how did you move through? My first year I really resisted playing tournaments. It was one of those um I just hadn't fallen in love with the sport yet, so by the time I started playing a tournament it was the end of the season and I played one tournament my first year and I played rec and I should say recreational women there were other women to play against second year by force of necessity there weren't any rec divisions at those other events I started playing so I had to play intermediate and I started doing well enough at the intermediate events that mid-year I switched to playing advanced and advanced is a strange division for the women because in some senses, advanced is meant to be the pinnacle of the amateur field that the women who, for whatever reason, don't want to play professionally, they, if you're really good, you can play the women's advanced division. But it's also where either because of skill or because of social pressure or, or whatever, the best intermediate players tend to move into advanced. And there is a very disparate skill level between the best advanced players and the best intermediate players at at times. And so my first couple experiences with advanced in that sense, especially traveling from certain um, outside of my area to play these other events, I want to say advanced should be that level and that you should aspire to be that level if you want to remain an amateur. But at the same time, depending on where you go, advanced means so many different things. An eight you know, 31 rated mm-hmm. player is not the same as, say, a 925. Sure. And you can still play FA1 at 925. Mm-hmm. And because unless you're going to, if unless you make the decision to go pro, that's where right. you're going to play. Right. Right. You but, never get kicked out of advance. Right. 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 And it's your it, personal choice to go pro. Right. And that's kind of the thing is if you make that leap, you need to be prepared that you may demolish the advanced field at certain regions or certain mm-hmm. locations, but then you're going to run into the woman who by all rights could be a professional player and has chosen not to be pro. Right. And she's going to play on a different level than you are. Like uh, if you've taken cash and gone pro, uh, then you get kicked out of advanced women at uh, 8.75, but... Not all the pro women are throwing 875 golf. You know, they're, they're, they're not touring level. Um, and it's a, it's a best of both worlds sort of situation. If you go to a tournament and there's just a, a kick in players pack, you're like, well, okay, I'll play advanced. I'll take the players pack. You know, it'll, it'll, there's probably some really, really good advanced players. It'll be a good scrap. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, but if you show up at a tournament, you know, like a, like a C tier where there's like one player in advanced, 
I'm not going to make judgments, but probably ought not play in advance in that mm-hmm. division because mm-hmm. you're you're just going to be pub stomping somebody, and that's no bueno. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what happened to me this year at um, the U.S. Masters. Mm-hmm. I had not accepted cash yet, so right. I could have played amateur women 40 plus, mm-hmm. but the women who were there in amateur women 40 plus were like 70 to 80 rating points below me. Right. And it's like, I could go there and win this, but at the same time, I'm not going to improve myself as a player. And I really want to test myself at this major against better competition. So I ended up playing FP 40 instead. So while we're on the topic, like Lauren, can you talk a little bit about your decision-making process in playing pro versus playing advanced? Yeah. Like they said, it's no fun to be beating up on people who are rated lower than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't doing that in advance, but I think that growing the sport, that's one thing that you have to do. If you're a handful of points above all the girls in the division, and you you have to grow the sport. Let somebody else win. Let a couple yeah. other people have competition instead of them feeling like they're not good at disc golf. You need to move mm-hmm. up and move your skills outside of their cards so that they can have a chance to succeed and do well at that tournament. Um, my choice to move up, it took me a while actually, um, but it was on and off a couple. I played some pro events because legacy helped me um, mm-hmm. with some tournament registrations. Um, I think what was that? 2016 mm-hmm. I played in seven open events mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and it really it really was a, a learning experience because my first round I would shoot great it would seem like and I'd be with the top girls Katrina Allen Paige mm-hmm. just, and I would shoot great but then the next round I would be with a handful of women who I was our scores were alike and the card behind me, I'd already beat them in my first round and my nerves would be so high mm. that I would just kind of tank my second round. And then by the third round, you don't really care anymore because you're an advanced rated player playing in pro, you know? So um, it took me a time to make the decision to move up, but I slowly got my feet wet in, in pro tournaments in women's all women's events where the open women are really there to support and grow the sport. Um, there's some at 850 rated and above mm-hmm. dip their toes into open events. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way it should be. I mean, I wanted to play with the best. Yeah. I, you get to, you learn new skills, you learn the mental game, you learn the, like they play a hundred percent different than us instead of hucking and running everything and throwing it as far as you can. They shoot a shot to land it in a specific shot and their next shot to land in a specific shot and they make their putt. And it's so much different. And you would gain leaps and bounds of knowledge playing with the professional division. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still can throw an 850 or underrated round. Sure. I mean, it just depends on where, you know, your mental games at mm-hmm. that day. You're, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many different things. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic, I'm going to pull in a question uh, from that we got that we got from Andrea on Facebook because uh, it really applies to this. She said, I've played for several years, but only got serious about it in August of last year when I played my first tournament. 
I've played almost every day since then. I've played in eight tournaments this year. Seven have been in the advanced level and one open. I have won most of the advanced level, took third in the world for the advance for the WGE, took second in the open tournament. I didn't accept cash because I didn't know the right time to make that jump. Why is it important to stay or go up? And what is important to consider when making that decision? How does it impact your rating? And why is it important? What is the best way to gain exposure uh, towards becoming a sponsored player? So let's break down that question a little bit because there's kind of a few questions uh, within that. <laughs> so, uh, so Nova, say congrats! Yeah. Third place in a women's global event is so cool. For real? No, that is just awesome. I mean, first of all, yeah, Andrea, have fun. That is just super great. So, Kim, why don't you address this first? Because you just recently made the switch uh, and accepted cash here in the last couple months. So can you kind of talk about that for you and kind of what advice you'd give to Andrea? Which part of the question are we breaking down right now? Uh, so the do you <laughs> do you stay advanced or do you go pro? When when do you know that it's time? Um, basically, when you realize that you've been holding yourself back and you have more to give for myself after my very successful, you know, 2017 season, I kept being asked the question from many sources, where do you want to play in 2018? Where do you want to play in 2018? And I legitimately didn't know. Once you go pro, you do close yourself off from a number of other divisions. Like for example, I can't play FA, well, it's FA 40 any longer because I've accepted cash and at that age protected you can't play it but once you've accepted cash so it was like do I really want to make a decision that's going to prevent me from playing that in the future I was hesitant it's a it's a big thing to realize wait a minute I'm going to be closing doors Mm -hmm. by by making this leap but as I was reviewing some of my early 2018 results and who I was playing with I mean I was throwing better when I had better competition I was more confident. I was going for things without fear and not recklessly, but there wasn't the nervous, oh, what if I mess it up? What if I mess it up? It was like, I'm going to hit this line. It was a really, really empowering feeling to have that. And then a couple of the times when I wouldn't play against that same caliber of competition, I, I'd i be putting in sub 850 rounds or, or something like that. And I'm like, why can't I bring that game? Well, I don't have the same level of competition pushing me or, or demanding that I bring my, my highest level of skill. And so it, for me, it was eventually the decision that if I'm going to grow as a golfer, I have to get out of my comfort zone and yeah. I have to accept the fact that it's going to be rough for a little bit, but in the end, it's going to be a better move for me. Yeah. So, Lauren, when did you decide to first accept cash? Well, it was just after um, Anim Worlds last year. And I mean, I decided to accept that cash after Anim Worlds a year ahead of time. Sure. I took fourth place at Anim Worlds. Um, when was it? 2000? I don't know. <laughs> 16? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to win Anim Worlds. I thought that I had every right. I'd only got three years, but I changed fourth place and got into that like final four, the final nine or whatever. Um, at Amworld. And so the whole next year, people are asking me when I'm going to move up, when I'm going to make that pro, you know, when I'm going to accept cash. And I was like, I want to win Amworld. I want to win Amworld. And I honestly, 
like Kim said, it held me back for a whole year. Yeah. I had some good rounds and stuff, but thinking that I was going to go to Amworlds, I mean, thinking I was going to go there and win was a great thing, but, and I did play a handful, you know, seven open and 16 advanced tournaments, but if I would have moved up to open and just not accepted cash for the whole year, I think I would have gotten the, the winner's, you know, blood in my mouth. I would have started tasting more competition instead of being in the same division that I had been in a couple of years with the same girls that I've been in with a couple of years. I mean, you really have to travel around the U.S. to shake up the pool that you're playing with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to Amworlds and... I'd shoot hot round and then I'd shoot like 820 rated round and then I'd shoot hot round and then I'd shoot terrible. And I still tied fourth place and had to do a playoff and I didn't make it into the finals that year. But like, it just, it wasn't even good golf for me. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't make it into the finals on it. Honestly, like it, it wasn't worth it for me to wait a whole year to not move up. I've, made leaps and bounds this year, donating some cash, making yeah. it to top card. I've learned a thousand things and I, w- I would have done it sooner. Those it is hard guys. though. Like, um, what, what Andrea said, some of her things, it seems like she's been playing for a handful of years or maybe more than five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure how old she was, but it sounds like she maybe has the skills and experience to be comfortable in her game. Mm-hmm for years of playing before she got into that tournament feel and it allowed her to go in mentally stable and, yeah. you know, able to shoot really hot rounds. So I think it's great that she's beating competitors in both open and advanced because if she was just beating women in advance, I might be like, maybe dip your toes into open, but don't accept cash, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think for her, she's 864 rated right now. She's doing well. So yeah. many <laughs> 30 points less than mine, if even. And I think that um, she could, if she wanted to, like I said, start playing that intermediate or rec men's or whatever yeah. to get a little more competition if she doesn't want to accept cash. But I think she's ready to play in the in the open, in the open field and not accept cash if she's not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, once you turn down about $1,000, you're going to start <laughs> accepting cash. <laughs> and it gets fun. <laughs> I don't have a thousand dollars worth of cash to say I turned down, but I would say like the, the three to four hundred dollars worth of right. cash I threw or I turned down when I was dipping my toes into the open fields. I I'm like, ooh, that that would have been really nice to. <laughs> right, and like you guys are talking to me um, about playing advanced around the U.S. and stuff. There was pretty big players packs. But there's not always payouts. A lot of it's trophy only because they want the pro purse to be large. So you just get that player's pack and there's no chance of, you know, just trophy only of any of that funny money stuff. So that was something that for me and my Alex, my partner on the road, us playing advanced year after year and just getting the player's pack and trying to (laughs) sell it wasn't doing anything for us making money on the road, you know, getting our face out there. And like she asked was um, how to get sponsorship. Right. Yeah. Move to open. Getting your face out there. Yeah. Beating up on some boys. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> so Nova, what would you say to when to, uh, take cash? Because I know you have. Uh... Yeah. Well, uh, Andrea asks a good question. Uh, she says she uh, took third and uh, advanced at the WGE this year. So um, 
I I don't know why we don't have her on the phone because she beat me. Um, <laughs> I played I played advanced at the WGE and I'm uh, uh, in a tie for ninth. Um, so yeah, she threw a couple of nine thirty something rated rounds I think yeah. uh, in advanced. Um, so that's 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 good enough to play with the touring pros. Um, you know, maybe not on the road twenty four seven, but. Um, you know, you're going to find yourself at that. You know, if you can consistently crank out rounds like that, you're going to find yourself on the lead card. Uh, you know, with a couple of people talking about your round on YouTube from time to time. So, really, the question is, uh, as as Kim said earlier, um, when you're ready to close some doors behind you permanently, um, because I've reviewed the guidelines for getting AM status back, and the answer is basically you don't. If you're not ready to, there is no shame in that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, something I don't, I don't think students explored much is uh, you really need to get used to winning when you're, you know, before before you go to open or for, for this also applies for uh, reckon intermediate players who are thinking about moving up to say advanced get used to winning a little bit so that you know what it feels like coming down the home stretch 15 16 17 18th hole with three or four strokes in your pocket so you don't go to pieces yeah you know you, you gotta you gotta you gotta learn how to close it yeah and one of her other questions on this was how will it affect your rating to move up into the open divisions and if you have prepared yourself, you know, you've taken Nova's advice and learned how to close. You have the confidence in your in your game and your shots. Your rating is going to go up because you're going to be playing against better competition. This is going to br- make you bring your game. And it's probably going to mean you're going to be more enthusiastic about traveling to other events where you're going to be playing tougher competition that tougher competition is going to have higher ratings therefore the overall round ratings for that event is going to boost you so you know, mostly you, mostly i mean yeah i mean it's not a one not 100 like, of the time at but, a tournament where where there's only pro people on your course though you know, if you're only, if there's not any advanced players playing your course that day and you're only getting rated against the women in the pro field and the men in the pro field, you could be the lowest rated person in the whole field and your score will be on how, you know, the highest rated people right. play, you know, stroke. So there, there is some times when you get thrown on a, because that's a difference too. Advanced players, don't play the same courses as pro players in bigger tournaments. Mm-hmm. So the difficulty of those other course courses, she might not be throwing 930 rated on a pro, you know, course, but that, that's something that you're going to have to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we all deal with is going to different tournaments and dealing with different TVs, um, layouts and stuff. But like the disc golf pro tour has started making us women's tees and there's, I think there's a lot of truth in that mm-hmm. showing showing how we can play. Good. And I, I want to circle back and answer the last part of this question, too, because I know a lot of players will stay as amateurs to play Worlds to try to get that, that sponsor um, attention. So it'd be good if we can kind of address that. So, Lauren, can you kind of talk about your um path to being a sponsored player and was you know it after being uh, turning pro or when you were still doing the amateur thing right well i had only been playing disc golf for about three years 
when I decided to move on the road and start playing disc golf every single weekend, you know, not professionally, but <laughs> for fun living on the road, playing disc golf. Um, so I did that, I think in October and then in February, you know, the season started and in that whole off season, I sent out emails to every single company out there, you know, telling them what I was doing, asking them for help, um, telling them, you know, just my thoughts and dreams and what I wanted to do. And I didn't hear back, I don't think from anybody really, um, <clears throat> but I met Bamba and Steve at the GCCs, which is the Gentleman's Club Challenge, now the Las Vegas Challenge, and they offered me a spot. I was maybe 8.30 rated, and they asked me that day, because I shot, I think, like 9.15 on a course that the women had played, the pro women. They said, when are you going to move up? <laughs> and it took me a year and a half after I got that sponsorship, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I had to ask for it. Mm-hmm. I had to work for it. Um, I got super lucky with the family who picked me up and I feel like I just fit into the mold perfect for legacy. But you can't you can't just expect it to be given to you and they're not always looking either. Um, so I think if, if you ask and you get yourself on social media a lot um, and you just, you know, you have to put out love for the sport. It's not about winning every single weekend. It's about growing the sport, yeah. doing kids clinics going to schools um there's a there's a million things to do it's not always just about being that top rated person although if that's where your dreams and goals want you to be obviously that's one side of it Mm -hmm. but i feel like i play better when i do my little two disc challenges the weekend before and i teach newbies how to play and i get new discs in people's hands and we do all sorts of fun ace runs and different sort of putting games and stuff like that. Yeah, for me, um, the, the sponsorship thing's hard. Every single company's different. Every single company's looking for something different. Yeah. Just getting your face out there and asking. And oh, that's what, I mean, that's how I got all my sponsorships. I'm sponsored by Gorilla Boy. I had to, I asked for it. I want to be sponsored by you. I feel I'm a strong player, that I have something to give to you. Uh, do you think that we could work together, you know? Kim, what do you have to add to that? For me, I had one very specific sponsor I wanted to to represent. I really wanted to be on Team MVP. It was something uh, I didn't have my eye on anyone else. I really wanted to represent the plastic I was throwing, and I didn't really want to try to learn someone else's plastic. The uh, thing that's going to be common amongst all sponsors, though, is how well are you going to represent them in the yeah. sport? I mean, everyone is going to have variations on what they think that looks like mm-hmm. but ultimately they want you to make them look good they want this you to make the sport look good you don't have to be a pro let's get that part out yeah. of the way straight up you do not have to be a pro to be a sponsored player there are plenty of women who are amateurs who are sponsored sometimes this is because they recognize an up-and-coming player and want to support them sometimes this is because that player does great things in their community so don't feel you have to become a pro in order to be sponsored. That's It may help depending on who you have your eye on, but that's it's not a requirement. Do you have anything to add, Nova? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I think a big part of it is um, it's, it's like a job interview, um, except that the, the question isn't not just um, is the applicant good for the company, but is the company good for the applicant? 
when you're looking to get sponsored, um, don't try to build a resume um, as it was where you're you're going out and you're doing this thing and you're doing that thing and you're doing the other thing and you're getting out on social media and you're um, applying the hashtag of your favorite disc golf manufacturer to the end of every one of your Facebook posts in the hopes that they will notice you somehow um, because grown-ups can see right through that. It's, it's really disingenuous. Um, go out, have fun playing disc golf, make friends playing disc golf, do things in your community that make disc golf better. And then while you're at it, go ahead and document that you've done this mm -hmm. um, and have a thing to show. But, <laughs> no, uh, women, but, yeah, but, yeah, running women's leagues and doing yeah. stuff in, in the community is going to get you a sponsor far quicker than saying the last three tournaments you won and promising that you're going to make every putt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, can, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, <laughs> we need more people playing, not better people doing good, make, you know. I mean, we want our, all of our sponsors touring pros to make money playing disc golf. But right now, we need more people to play and love disc golf. So. Yeah. One final thing, at least for everyone who's looking for a sponsorship, there is perhaps the dream that once you become sponsored, you know, all these doors open up for you or that, you know, the, you're given the keys to the kingdom or, or, or something to that effect. And I think for everyone who's looking for sponsorship, go into it with the understanding that if you get it, you suddenly have responsibilities. It's not as though you are a representative of the sport and of the company you have chosen to, you know, wear their products or throw their discs or, you know, what have you. This means you're going to have to be behave yourself as a professional, even if you're playing the amateur divisions. It means you're going to have to be the person that a new player comes up to for advice and you give it cheerfully. It's a it's a responsibility. It's a it, job. It's not something that you should take lightly. Awesome. I really like it. So I want to finish up with one question here. We talked about how sometimes you have limited divisions, right? Uh, that you can participate in. And I know for me personally, there's a tournament coming up later this year that I want to play and I can only play it on the day that they offer advanced and they don't offer intermediate. So Rachel on Facebook asked, I am probably a novice on a bad day and wreck on a good day. Should I play intermediate when that is the lowest divi division offered in a tournament or is that seen as unfair? I would hate to take someone else's spot, but it would also suck to not get to play just because I'm not as skilled. So Lauren, what are your thoughts on that? I think you can definitely play intermediate if it's the lowest um, division offered to you. Mm -hmm. Even like I said, my like sixth thing is to move to the men's division, but the novice men are supposed to be like less than eight fifty rated, as where ours are, you know, seven twenty five right. to eight hundred. So it, it's not even gonna make that difference up for her there. Um, mm -hmm. She can if it's early enough ahead of time, she can try and find four women to make her own division um, and ask the TD to make, you know, the, the novice division for her. But the guideline is that once the TD puts up the, the registration uh, for the tournament, he must keep the division if there's more than four people signed up for the event. He or she must keep it. I mean, I don't think that you shouldn't have to play if you don't feel like 
there's a low enough bracket for you, but that's just so hard if all the girls are rated a hundred points higher than her to go into that tournament. I mean, if she has all the confidence to go into that tournament and she just has fun, then that's, then I think that she can play intermediate. You know, she's not taking anybody's spot. I've almost never been turned down from a tournament. Like I'm a girl. I want to play. There's only three or four women on the card. Put me on the fifth or there's, a third, you know, there's only three people in the master's division, put me on there. And if I can work my way into top cards, then that's fine. But it's hard. There's not going to be novice or rec for women very often, unless it's all women's event. What do you think, Nova? Um, well, I think if the lowest uh, division that's offered is intermediate, and uh, you don't know if you're necessarily an intermediate tier player, play that division. Um, it's not your fault that the TD hasn't offered a more appropriate division. Um the spot belongs to you just as much as it belongs to anybody else clicking submit on the registration form. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell people how to feel or how not to feel, but don't feel bad about that. That's not unfair. You did not create that situation, so it's not yours to resolve. It's not your problem. The TD made a bad call, uh, didn't create enough divisions, didn't open up a division that was appropriate for you. You're playing in the division as best as you can. Kim? Um, I'm just going to echo something Lauren said is, are you going to have fun playing that tournament at that division? And if the answer is yes, then you should do it. You know, don't worry about, you know, the gap between you and any of the other potential women in the field. Don't worry that you may be taking a spot from some other intermediate woman. Don't. If you were going to have fun playing that tournament in that division, play it. Don't don't get hung up on the fact that it's intermediate. Now, saying that, if you think that you can actually collect three more rec players that will commit to playing the event, absolutely go to the TD, like Lauren said, and see if they'll open a rec division for the four of you that are interested. I mean, that's... A great way to show visibility. If there are four women signed up to play rec, you might find out that there are additional rec women who would then come and play. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the space consideration is. I mean, I mean, if you're going to be limited to 90 players at an event because of a, you know, you're doing a shotgun start two rounds, something like that. You know, you may, there may not be any adjustments, but it never hurts to put those inquiries out and see what comes of it especially if some of the other divisions don't fill and those spaces could be given to the women anyway. Oftentimes, TDs are very conservative on the women's availability and very generous on the men's. Sometimes that can be pulled back to us. TD um, might know of another rec player. And if you go to the TD and say, hey, why isn't there a rec division? The TD would be like, well, you know, I got an email from one other rec player. Um... If one or the other of you can scrape up a friend, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that's that's a possibility that may exist. Absolutely. We do it in the pro division all the time. We try and steal some of the advanced rated players and bring them up to get a, a good card and a good purse going. And I think it's a great way to get 850 and above rated women to play with the the pro women and I, I bring my, I'm just like, you know, but I have my rule book with me all the time. I love the rules. I want the rules <laughs> to be enforced, but I want them to work for all of us the way that they're yeah. supposed to. 
to use the rules as their advantage. Um, and for her, I think that moving up to intermediate will probably probably help her her learn a little bit more skills too. Yeah, I agree. Really wonderful discussion. Thank you, ladies, so much. I uh, There was some things we didn't get to. We, there were some really good conversations. I posted both on the Disc Golf for Women group on Facebook and the Ladies of the Chains Facebook page. I know Pixie Cannon had some really good advice on that thread, so I would encourage everybody to go check that out for some more information. Obviously, this is a topic that we can continue to discuss a lot. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I had a great time. It was wonderful talking to all you ladies. Welcome back. And now for a couple listener questions. Joe from Facebook had a really good question. He says, does the rating system hurt viewership of women's disc golf? Often a small percentage of the FPO field is rated above 935 and many competitors, uh, excuse me, competitive players in the field are below 900. Would a rating system specifically for women help or hurt the sport? I have some strong opinions about this, but Nova, let's start with you. I don't know um, if changing the rating system is, is going to change the effect because, yeah, there's a small percentage of the FPO field above 935 and a, a lot below 900, um, but that's how bell curves work. Mm-hmm. Um, if we arbitrarily uh, change the rating system, then what's going to happen is, uh, let's say we, we just inflate it by 1,000. Um, then the question will come back to us a year later. Um, you know, Often a small percentage of the FPO, FPO field will be rated above 1,035, but there will be many competitive players in the field below a thousand. That doesn't seem to be hurting MPO coverage at all. A lot of times you'll you know turn on your favorite video and you'll see like Ricky Paul Eagle and some guy named Bert. <laughs> I apologize by the way if there's anyone out there named Bert who I just offended. But you know if you know Bert the local player just shot way over his head and he's he's with the, you know and he's with the, um he, he's with uh, Ricky Paul and Eagle. So no, I don't think arbitrarily uh, changing the numbers is going to change the demographics of the sport or make bell curves not into bell curves anymore. Yeah. What do you think, Kim? Um, I'm actually kind of confused by the the idea that the numerical assignment to a player is going to affect the viewership of mm-hmm. it. Um, I mean, I suppose it could be, but let's say we had separate ratings for women that were independent of the men's ratings and those ratings were suddenly commensurate and you'd have like a 10-15 rated Paige Pierce or in a um, 1,000 rated Katrina Allen or, or something like that. There's still going to be those people in the audience who are going to be like, yeah, it's 10-15, but it's a women's 10-15, so it doesn't really count. You know, changing the rating system, I don't think is going to affect anything in terms of viewership in my opinion well i really really love this question joe because it's actually something that i have absolutely thought about before the idea did cross my mind of you know what if there was a different rating system for women so here's what i would say about it that we when it comes to ratings of women's players women's play really just kind of all of these questions that we keep having kind of the same conversations about a conclusion I've really come to from hearing from so many people is just give it a minute, you know, hold on, (laughs) like we watch out, it's coming. We have had several FPO players shoot thousand rated rounds already this year. And to me, it's just a matter of time before those start getting more consistent. We already have players in the field 
who can achieve that and it's going to happen. And, you know, I think having the rating system that we do and having it the way we do is actually very advantageous to getting eventually more people to watch the sport because a thousand rating even in, you know, for men's players is special. We don't have just this insane amount of thousand rated players. And really, in fact, we've kind of seen this leap this year in MPO that a thousand rating is no longer enough for MPO that you're kind of having to shoot an average 10, 40, 10, 50 golf if you're going to win a tournament. And I think we're going to continue to see that happen in FPO too, where the bar is going to keep going higher and higher and higher. It is going to be awesome when we see that first thousand rated female player. And it's going to mean a lot because we can look at the men's ratings and be like, oh, hey, look, they can do the thing just like they can do the thing. (laughs) And I think it's really, really good for this sport. I could see the, you know, kind of the reasoning and there was a good kind of back and forth on our Facebook page about this question about changing up the women's ratings. But I think especially, gosh, for somebody like Paige, for all of the younger women that Paige are inspiring to like take that away, that opportunity of being the first female thousand rated player. We can't do that. Like as maybe arbitrary as ratings might seem, I think it's it's going to be really cool when we get there. And again, we, we already have women that can do it. It's just a matter of mental game and consistency. That's it. Okay. So Dino also had a good question for us. He said, would you say the prospect of being filmed attracts female players to sign up for tournaments? Or do you think it is a, deter- a detriment to getting the ladies to play? referring to advanced and open players in local A tiers. Well, let's be frank on this on this first part. If we hear that CCDG or Jomez or Terry Miller or someone is going to film our event, this should be a privilege. Yeah. We should be honored that this is happening and we should come out and represent that. We need the visibility, we need our players to come out and and show a good field, a good strong uh, total player population within that tournament so that we, we grow the sport. We need to do that. If you're worried about being filmed, start filming yourself so you can yeah. get over it. Yeah, yeah I, w- I would be completely stoked. I would sign up for a tournament like that so hard. I mean, <laughs> um, I... I missed the cut uh, to be on a videoed card at a Solinsky Masters last year uh, by just a few throws, and I was gutted. Um, you know, w- w- when I knew uh, when I knew Ian Corey were coming up, um, I was like, "This is a thing I need to make happen." And um, and they were going to film the final. So first round, I was just I, I was I was going crazy, and I went out and I shot way over my head. And got the tournament off to a good start. And I was like, I'm going to be on video. I'm going to be on video. Uh, didn't throw so well the next couple of rounds. And I was not quite on video, but it was a huge, yeah. absolutely huge incentive cool. uh, to me. Yeah, I'm going to give a big shout out to Steve Holloway at MVP Disc Sports at this point in time. Because MVP was um, filming some of the rounds down at uh, Richmond Hills during amateur world championships in 2017 and was filming some of the, uh, my own personal card. You know, it was, I got nervous about this at first and started throwing a little bit off initially. And, you know, one of the things he said is, you know, the better you get, the more you have to be prepared that someone is going to film you. You're going to have your more, 
or your face out there a little bit more, you're going to be more, have more exposure. So the better you get, the more likely you are to be filmed. It's better to get that out of your system now. And he was right. Very good. I agree. So now for a quick FPO and women's tournament wrap up. I was fortunate enough to be joined for a little bit by Chris Rodriguez, who ran the La Nina tournament a couple weeks ago. So here's what he had to say about that. I'm here with Chris Rodriguez. Chris was the TD of the La Nina Open that took place a couple weeks ago. That was an all-women's tournament up in Washington. So, Chris, can you give us a recap of that event? Yeah, well, um, i just like to say thank you for letting us uh, letting me be on. And um, it's been a sweet to listen to your guys' podcast uh, over the over this past, like, I guess, past probably like four months that I've been listening. Awesome. Thank um, you. But yeah, the, the recap pretty much was um, we had 88 ladies sign up. It was a super fun time. Uh, we did three rounds of 18 out at River Ridge Golf Course in Selah, uh, Washington. Um, the FPO uh, winner, actually our FPO field was 17 women. Um, we had uh, the, F, the, the Masters was uh, five women, the advanced women, 18 um, the masters, uh, 40 was three, the amateur, uh, the masters 50 was one, the intermediate ladies, uh, we had 16 and our recs, we had 17 ladies. Um, most of those ladies, it was the first term, which was super cool. Awesome. Um, juniors, uh, FJ 15, we had two, uh, FJ 12, we had one FJ 10, we had three. And then we had one FJ8, which was super fun too. And we kind of gave her a break for the second round. So, um, but we, yeah, we played three rounds of 18. Uh, it was out, played out at River Ridge Golf Course. Like, like I said before, um, it's, it's a nine hole ball golf course um, in Sela, Washington. Sela is uh, the next door neighbor town um, to Yakima, Washington, which is in central Washington. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was great weather. I couldn't ask for uh, better weather. Uh, we had some mosquitoes, but um, I think everybody dealt with that pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well. We really didn't have any hiccups. Um, the first time we did the La Nina, um, we did have one hiccup and we lost daylight. And so um, it was just kind of crazy, but we figured it out the next day. Uh, but this year we had plenty of daylight. Um, we had a uh, dash for the cash round on that Friday for the pros. And um, we had five participants and Megan Pierce, um, her husband, her and her husband own Independence Disc Golf out of uh, Ridgefield, Washington. And she walked away with 500 uh, guaranteed first place. So that was really sweet. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really well yeah. attended tournament. What do you think helped draw so many FPO players and just the larger field in general? I really have to say the ladies that believed in me, the, the, the ones that came out the first time. People have said, yeah, you know, you, you did a really great job and everything. And um, and I thank them for the kind words, but if, you know, something that a friend of mine asked me, um, you know, how did you get all those ladies there? And I said, well, <laughs> the first time is I'm like, if you want to get them there, you better make it really good the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, because then they're going to come back and they're going to invite their friends and they're going to tell their friends about it. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I tried really hard my first time out and, I, and then I just said, Hey, look, I want to make it bigger and better. And I was actually supposed to run it in 2017, but uh, my wife and I um, and our family, we used to be missionaries up at a, um, a youth ranch um, up in the mountains over here. We were on staff for like 10 years. 
And, um, and we were moving last fall and I was just like, there is no way I can be a good husband and be a good TD at the same time. And so I'm like, well, I'm going <laughs> to scratch the TD thing for this fall and let's just push it off to next year and just be a good husband. And, 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 uh, and we moved and everything. So I'm just really glad we didn't do it then. Yeah. Um, but I, I told the, I told that person, I was like, you know what, you make it good. And the ladies that, that believe in you will come back and they're going to bring their friends. So I really attribute it to, um, the ladies, my returning ladies and the ladies that wanted to return and play, uh, play the tournament. And they told everybody about it. Yeah. I mean, it had, yeah, I had, I had a lot of high level pros there. I even had, um, uh, high level pros that weren't even able to play that were injured. You know, I had Hannah Leatherman there and right. we were really hoping for her to play. Um, and she's a good friend of mine through Eagles wings. Her husband is mm-hmm. my boss, Dustin Leatherman. Um, but he, uh, yeah. So, and I was hoping, but you know, she just couldn't play. Uh, she wasn't able to play, but she was still there to support. And she, it was just like that, you know, Melody Bailey. Um, she's our, she's our, you know, big local pro around here. And she, um, she was injured and she couldn't play, but yet she still, she made the trophies and she was still there on Sunday to support us. It was just ladies like that. Um, you know, ladies from the disc golf, uh, women's disc golf or die out of the uh, Portland area. Um, you know, those ladies, uh, that's a huge group of women, man. And, and those, those ladies play and they battle. And so, um, to have their support was, was, was huge, you know, uh, you know, them. And, and then of course I did the, the huge basket nine hole course raffle nice. and everybody that came in on that was, they were huge players in um in that tournament those are huge sponsors you know i mm-hmm. yeah it, those people believe i mean i i paragon gave us 100 towels yeah <laughs> you know uh west side disc you know the trilogy of course um they gave us all those shirts for free and uh, we wanted a grant through them and it was just mm-hmm. just sweet and so so many different avenues that led to um that tournament happening was just it was awesome. That's really, really wonderful. So will this tournament be happening again next year? Yes. Wonderful. Uh, shooting for about the same same time. Yeah, I really like the weekend before the Beaver State yeah. playing. Um, I really do. Uh, we had some ladies that were, you know, um, kind of just, I guess I wouldn't say marathon golfing, but um, those ladies that just, you know, grind it out right. and week to week, week into week. And, and they just play on the, on the tour. And then you have, you know, you come up to central Washington and we're only like three and a half hours away from Milo MacGyver. And okay. so, um, so yeah. So, you know, they, they would come up here, play my, you know, play my event and then immediately right. you just drive back down and play Milo, which is just epic. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us about your tournament and congratulations on a great event. Thank you. So last weekend, we had the Beaver State Fling, and what a tournament. It was very competitive, uh, crazy weather, some really good play, some kind of crazy not as good play. Did you all watch some of the coverage? Indeed, I did. Um, it, it looked a little rainy. Yeah. Yeah, well done, Kat. That was a very strong finish. Yeah, and I mean, again, like I'm super thankful uh, like I mentioned before, for Terry's extra coverage too, uh, there's some really good shots in in what um, he got out there. And uh, Denise Cameron and Emac are on the commentary, and I really enjoyed that. 
but yeah, really strong, strong finish there by Katrina. Obviously, a lot can happen on that course. It's it's a very challenging course uh, that I've heard nothing but good things about. And it forces a lot of different shots. I think that was what was really cool was uh, neat to see these FPO players really go through just about everything they've got in their back pocket um, to pull out uh, for this tournament. So it makes a nice change from um, ball golf course, disc sure. golf. Yeah, you know, having that variety is is really neat to see. So this weekend, holy cow, so many A-tiers all around. So just a couple notes about that. Um, as of recording time, a lot of these tournaments hadn't posted yet of who uh, won. Um, but I do have a few of those, and the ones that I don't get to, I'll post on our Facebook page. But man, Sarah Holcomb is not messing around. She had very strong BC Open, at least the first three rounds again. I had don't think her fourth round's finished as of recording, uh, but shooting well above her rating. Um, and Lisa Fakus and Elaine King were playing really well, too. I was really happy to see Elaine having a good tournament um, since she just made that switch to MVP. So very cool to see that. And uh, Henna Bloomros won the Prodigy Disc Tour in Finland. And I think sometimes we you know, forget about our international players, but she is having a heck of a year. She's one of those players that has shot a thousand rated round. Um, I didn't check her stats, but every time I hear about her playing, she's won. <laughs> so uh, really, really good player there in Finland. Uh, the Zoo Town Open in Montana was this weekend. Last I looked, uh, Val was on top. Um, shout out to Kona Panis winning the High Plains Open A tier out in Colorado. And also shout out to PDGA Radio and Innova's own Sarah Lamberson, who won the Magic City Mega Bowl A tier. That was her first A tier of the year. And Christy Moore also won the Kanawha Valley Regional. So a lot of good action around the country and the world uh, this weekend. Cool. So that's our show. Shout outs, ladies. Yeah, of course. Uh, shout out to my sponsor, Ozone Discs. And I just want to give a shout out to the listeners. Um, even, even if you can't contribute, at the very least, making the... Uh, Number of times viewed go up by one on the counter counts for something. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for being there. Uh, thanks for letting my voice into your ear hole. <laughs> I want to give a big thank you out there to MVP Disc Sports for supporting me this year. It's meant a lot, and I've had a really fun ride thus far, and I hope it continues. Um, big shout out to Kaylee Kincaid, yes. um, local professional player who took second the kansas city wide open this year through very strong well done well done also to um sarah gilpin it's had a very very strong uh, season thus far she's won a couple of good events and this is her first year as a pro so on the topic of moving up she's a very strong advanced player now a very strong open player and uh i think she made the right decision so good job sarah awesome. Thank you so much for listening. My thanks to Nova, Kim, Lauren, Edie, Sam, Dino, and Chris. Thank you to DZ Discs, where the disc you see is the disc you get. If you are interested in supporting the podcast, please visit our website, ladiesofthechains.com, where you can click on the support button or email us if you are interested in a sponsorship. You can also find us on Facebook or email us your questions and comments to ladiesofthechains at gmail.com. 
If you enjoy the podcast, if you would be so kind to rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening on, a review helps too. A quick program note, we will have two episodes in July, but we won't be back until the middle of July. So be sure to stay tuned to Facebook and Instagram. We have some exciting things in the works, including our next giveaway. We'll see you next time here on the Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. Thank you.